come on let's magnify the Lord together let's speak of his wonderful works his great and mighty acts hallelujah Lord we love you Jesus Hallelujah. I think we ought to lift up our hands and continue to worship him for a few more moments. Hallelujah. Let it come out of your mouth. Amen. The praise, the, the sacrifice of praise, the Bible says, which is the fruit of your lips. Hallelujah. Let it rise. Amen. The Bible says, let everything has breath. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let it come out in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We worship you, O oh God. We worship you, O oh God. Hallelujah. Come on. It feels good. It feels good in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, God's moving all around this room. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord here on this Sunday afternoon and to be in the presence of God with God's people. Amen. And there's just no place like being in God's house. Amen. Now, see, I, I, I like being at my house. I like being at Texas Roadhouse. But ain't nothing like God's house. Because it's in God's house that whatever you have need of, you can bring it. You can go and you can, you can see a doctor and they can fix some things, prescribe some things. And God bless our doctors. Man, we believe in that. But when you come to the house of the Lord, there's things that, that can't even be diagnosed that God can heal. There are things in your mind that no pill can fix. There are things that are deep down in your heart that if you let God touch you, God can touch you in one moment in the house of the Lord. Is there anybody that's a witness to what God can do in his house? Amen. I think we ought to give God praise. Hallelujah. One more time. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Thankful to be in the house of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to the book of John, chapter 20, and beginning of verse number 24. Amen. John, chapter 20, and verse 24. The Bible says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Jesus has already died. He's already been crucified. They've already buried him. Three days later, he rose again from the dead, leading captivity captive. What a miracle. What a powerful moment. Mary and the other Mary, they ran and they found that the tomb was empty. They came back and told the disciples. But Thomas was not with them when Jesus showed up. The other disciple therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. We had a powerful encounter. But he said to them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within. They were in the house. And this time, Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus. I love this. The door's being shut. You can't lock Jesus out. 
And he stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, the one that missed out originally, Thomas, I've got a moment for you. Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. But blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe. Let's make the scripture personal for a moment. That you might believe. That I might believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you might have life through his name. These things were written that you might believe. And I want to preach to us for a few moments on this subject. I choose to believe. I choose to believe. Would you set down your Bibles and let's pray all across this house. I believe that God is going to touch us. I believe God has already moved through this house. I believe there's some people that have already got their answers, amen, from God in this service. I believe there's others that they still have need of miracles. They still have need of an experience. And I believe with all of my heart that God is going to do something great in this house. Lord, we give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands and give God some praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I choose to believe. Amen. And you may be seated. God bless you in Jesus' wonderful name. I choose to believe. This is a famous portion of Scripture. And I believe that it got famous probably for all the wrong reasons. There is a character here that we don't hear a lot about in the scriptures by the name of Thomas, that this has become, if you will, the one scripture that we can now look and many religious people have defined Thomas's life for uh, long after he's been dead and gone. We like to call him Doubting Thomas. He's forever deemed and categorized as Doubting Thomas. But I want to do Thomas a little bit of justice here today, and I want us to think about Thomas for a moment. I want you to think about where Thomas is at, his position, his place in life, amen, the place that he is enduring at this current moment. Because if we were to do Thomas justice and be honest with ourselves, every one of us has been Thomas at one time or another. In fact, I believe with all my heart that I'm preaching to some Thomases in the house of the Lord, that right where you are, you feel like a doubting Thomas. I want you to think about where Thomas is, though. Thomas has just been through an excruciating ordeal. He went from being one of the 12 chosen disciples. He is ready to become one of the 12 apostles. He is fixed and ready to become a mighty, mighty man of God. 
He just went from co-leading and cooperating a mega church with over five over five thousand, not including women and children. Amen. And at another point, there were seven thousand, not including women and children. What's happening? He is part of a mega movement, something great and something powerful. And all of this starts to just go, amen, forward. Now he is part of this mega church that's got thousands following, multiplying fish and loaves. Thomas is a part of this. Thomas, the Bible declares that Jesus broke the bread. He blessed it. And he handed it to each of his disciples. They did eat. And they took that bread and they broke it. And they passed it. And the Bible declares that the disciples had a direct hand in the miracle. He's not just some guy that showed up to receive the miracle. Thomas is somebody that has been involved in the miracle. Thomas is somebody that wasn't just part of the church. Thomas is somebody that made the church happen. Thomas is... Important. In fact, Thomas was part of the 70 that were sent out by twos. That Jesus gave them power. And they came back rejoicing. They said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us. That by the leg on of our hands, devils are cast out. Thomas is letting him know that by the laying on of our hands, uh, he's so excited along with the rest of them uh, that by the laying on of our hands, people that are sick uh, are getting healed. By the laying on of our hands, uh, people that are deaf are getting their ears unlocked and they're able to hear. Uh, imagine with me for a moment uh, the excitement. Uh, Thomas, uh, who all we know about Thomas is that somehow, some way, uh, amen, he's connected to Matthew, the tax collector. He comes from just an ordinary life. We don't know a whole lot about Thomas, but now he is thrust into this exciting life of this mega church where miracles are happening moment after moment after moment. And now he's seeing great things he never thought possible, things he'd been told about and heard about through the scriptures that he had never thought he would ever see himself. He's not only seeing them, he's a part of them. And then one moment, Jesus preaches a sermon that people don't like. And the megachurch walks out. You see, this megachurch was all happy when it was free fish and loaves. Hey, hallelujah. I'm going to preach to some folks for a moment. They were excited when people were getting up out of graves. They were excited when people were getting their eyes open. People were excited when those that are around them got that were sick got healed. They were excited when they got to see the miracle. In fact, they were so excited, the Bible says, they went out into the wilderness without food. They were so excited that it didn't matter if Jesus was in the wilderness, they were going to be in the wilderness, uh, amen, with or without a lunch. Uh, it didn't matter whether Jesus was by the seaside, they were going to go on the seaside, they'd even get their clothes wet just to hear what Jesus had to say because they were looking uh, to observe another miracle. It's not my notes, but I might as well talk about it. Jesus preached a sermon they don't like. And all of a sudden, everybody said, well, hold on. I don't know about that. What was his message? He had preached all of these other things, and they didn't have a problem with it. But the moment that Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Now, now I understand that's a little tough of a, if anybody, if I said that to you, you'd all walk out. Because they all thought exactly what we think, cannibalism. That's not what Jesus was talking about. 
What was Jesus talking about? He was saying, you've got to take what I have told you from the outside, and you've got to put it on the inside, and you've got to metabolize it. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to chew it up a little bit. Amen. You've got to take the nutrients out of everything I've told you. Amen. The Word can no longer just be an inanimate object on your nightstand, but the Word has got to become flesh. Hey, I preach, and I've got people excited when I preach. But the moment I say, now you got to do something with what I preach, I've seen the same people that were excited with joy receive the word, say, I don't know about that, and walk out the back doors. But I've come to preach to somebody. It's going to take a lot more than a feeling of excitement for you to be saved, honey. It's going to take the engrafted, the engraved, the metabolized, the made flesh word of God that be comes who you are that's going to save your soul. Oh, somebody ought to clap your hands and give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. The same people that will amen you are the same people that will crucify you. Hey, hallelujah. In fact, they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to Jesus. But the moment he started preaching this message, they said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Amen. I, a preacher, I like church. I, I enjoy church, but please don't tell me how to live. Hallelujah. Oh, I love going to church. I love worshiping, but but please do not tell me uh, that I've got to let it change my heart. Uh, I, I like I like everything I feel, but please don't tell me I've got to forgive that person. Uh, I, I like what I hear, and I like what I've experienced, uh, but please don't tell me I've got to convert who I am. Uh, oh, I love all of that. It sounds so cute and so nice, uh, but please don't tell me uh, that I've got to put my faith into action, uh, and my belief has got to be more than a mental ascent. It's got to become an identity. Thomas, watch this. As all 5,000 said, we were here for the free lunch. And they walked out the door because the free lunch was gone. And all he's looking at now is 12. And one of them is a devil. And he's thinking to himself, uh, what, uh, what have I got myself into? But Thomas, you got to hold on a little bit. Because in God, there's seasons. And in God, there's moments. It's not always mountaintops. Sometimes it's valleys. But if you hold on, Pentecost is coming. Thomas, you got to understand that you're just in a moment right now. We find Thomas, amen, he's in this position where now he has gone from leading a mega church of over 5,000 to seeing them all walk out. If that didn't get, if that wasn't bad enough, now uh, he has been there and he has watched as his Messiah is led away, betrayed by the kiss of a friend, uh, amen, betrayed by one of his own best friends, uh, somebody who he would have never guessed would have ever backstabbed and walked out. Uh, and here uh, he's watching uh, as Jesus is being led away. They are smacking him. They are beating him. Uh, and, and we watch as Thomas uh, does what everybody else does. Uh, he thinks, I got to get out of here uh, or it's going to be next, I'm going to be next on the chopping block. And so Thomas runs away with everybody else. Uh, but, the, but we know something through, uh, amen, reading the scriptures. Uh, Thomas had to have been close enough to see what happened. 
Amen. Close enough to the crucifixion because Thomas later on says, I've got to see the prints in his hands. You've got to be pretty close to know where they pierced him. And I've got to see him where they pierced him in the side. And I don't know. He may not have denied like Peter and he may not have betrayed like Judas, but he sure stayed back far enough. Amen. Where he didn't get noticed, but he stayed close enough to see with his own eyes what happened. now he's in this place where he just doesn't know. He's seen, amen, Joseph of Arimathea taking the body of Jesus off the cross and leading him and, amen, bloody burying him in his borrowed, amen, in what would be called Jesus' borrowed tomb. Amen. And, and now Thomas has got an issue. Amen. Now he's got this, this, this conscience, uh, this crisis of belief. Uh, amen. Uh, but Thomas, uh, amen, has seen too much. Uh, amen. To not know that God is able to do the impossible. Uh, amen. Thomas understands this concept. Uh, he's heard Jesus teach. Uh, he's heard Jesus talk. Uh, he's been a part of miracles. Uh, amen. He understands that belief is required. Thomas was there when Jesus walked into an area and the Bible declares he could not do any mighty miracle, not because there were sinners there. He could not do any miracles, and it's not because the religious were there. It, he could not do many mighty miracles, and it was not because people didn't like him. The Bible says he could not do many mighty miracles because of their unbelief. Can I preach to somebody? Uh, your belief uh, is a requirement. Uh, your faith uh, is a requirement, uh, amen, for the miraculous. Uh, your faith uh, and your belief uh, is a requirement uh, for the move of God. Uh, it can't be somebody else's belief. Uh, it's got to be your belief. Come on, can I preach to somebody? Why did God touch my neighbor? According to your faith, be it done unto you. Amen. Jesus walks down and looks wherever there might be belief, wherever there might be faith. And if you want to be the next miracle, all you got to do is say, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. You want to see God shut down so fast? Amen. Just let your unbelief take over. Hallelujah. Just let unbelief get a hold of your heart. I don't think anybody's ready for it, but you know one of the first things that's cast in the lake of fire? Unbelievers. Not people that, that just didn't have faith in God in the sense of like they had never gone to church. No, people that allowed unbelief to become a lifestyle. Amen. We've got to be careful that we don't let the spirit of unbelief kill us. Uh, amen. And, and, and let make us lose out. Oh, what a shame it would be for somebody, uh, amen, to have had faith for so long. Uh, but at the very end, they lose their faith uh, like Judas. Uh, amen. Oh, Lord, help us. Uh, amen. That if we've seen so much and been in, important, involved in so much and encountered so much, uh, that at the end of it all, we lose our faith uh, because of some trivial deal uh, or because of something else that happened to us uh, or because something that we prayed for didn't come to pass uh, in the time frame we gave God uh, and we give ourselves over to a heart uh, of unbelief. Uh, I pray right now as the Father prayed uh, in Mark, uh, he said, Lord, I believe, uh, but help thou mine unbelief. Uh, I've come to preach to somebody. Uh, you need to let God touch your heart. Uh, amen. So you can't be uh, like the children of Israel that could not enter in because uh, of their unbelief. 
I came to preach to somebody uh, that today you make the decision. Uh, I choose uh, to believe. Uh, I don't feel it all the time, uh, but I choose to believe. Uh, I can't see things working out right now, but I choose uh, to believe. Oh, somebody ought to worship the Lord all across this house. Amen. Thomas knew faith is required. Belief is required. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. Stop trying to please God without faith. It is impossible to please him because he that comes to God must believe. You notice that word must? We tell people you must be born again. Same word. You must believe. Amen. It is, a, it is an absolute. Amen. As absolute as Jesus' name, baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, repentance of your sin from dead works. Amen. It is just as essential that you and I have belief. Amen. We are not people. I get it. Listen, I'm logical. We need to have a little logic in the house of the Lord. Amen. But above and beyond logic, logic's not required for salvation. What is required for salvation? Belief is required for salvation. For Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. you got to have belief. you got to have faith. Amen. I come to preach to somebody, Mark 16 and 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. In other words, if you got baptized without belief, you just got wet. But he that believeth and is coupled with the obedience to baptism that one's going to be saved. You see, Thomas used to have faith. Amen. Thomas has been and experienced so much, but we notice something about Thomas. Thomas seems to have what we all have. He has a really good eye. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight, because the opposite of faith is not fear, it's observation. It's when what you look at and what you see does not line up with what God told you. Amen. Is God calling you Abraham, father of the faithful, but you ain't got no kids? Hallelujah. It's God telling Noah it's going to rain, and Noah starts building a boat, and everybody's like, there's no rain. Amen. But he makes it up in his mind. I'm going to build a boat anyways. Amen. In fact, we find Philip and Thomas. They're talking with Jesus in John chapter 14. Philip's saying, Lord, show us the Father. And Thomas is saying, Lord, how can we see the way? Both of them got a nice rebuke. Jesus told Philip, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Can I just preach some oneness for a moment? For those that are looking for, amen, God the Father, the Bible says, John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. Jesus told, amen, Philip, he said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. In other words, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen everything that you need to see about God. Jesus is perfect theology. You don't need to look for another. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen it all. You don't need to look for some other religion. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen it all. You don't need a pill. You don't need another prescription. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the way maker. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the healer. If you've seen Jesus, you saw Jehovah Shalom. If you've seen Jesus, you saw Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen it all, Philip. And then Thomas jumps in and goes, Lord, I've been watching you for a long time. 
but I just want to know how are we going to see the way? Jesus looks right back at Thomas and says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. In other words, Thomas, you need to get your eyes off everything else. Can I preach to Thomas's in the house of the Lord? You need to get your eyes off everything you can see uh, and, and get your eyes focused on the God that you can't see with natural eyes. Uh, amen. He said, you don't see a way because all you're focused on uh, is the walls surrounding you. I came to preach. Hallelujah. Jesus don't need no doors. You'll get that in a minute. Jesus doesn't need any doors. And Thomas, you gotta, you got to stop looking for earthly doors and earthly ways to make things happen. you got to stop looking around for an earthly way. When Jesus said, if you focus on me, you will see every way you've ever needed to see. If you believe in me, you will see the way. If you believe in me, you will see life. If you believe in In fact, we find him again at John chapter 11. We find Lazarus' tomb. This is how much he's let his observation hurt him. He sees as everybody's crying, Martha is crying, said, Lord, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Mary's coming and crying, said, Lord, if you'd have been here, he hadn't have died. And if you'd have just healed like you healed everybody else, it'd have been all right. And the Bible even says that Jesus wept. Amen. And Thomas looks around and observes what's going on. And the Bible says in John 11 and 16, then Thomas, which is called Didymus, said unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He's like, man, let's get in the tomb with this guy. I've never had that much love for anybody. Praise God. What's he seeing? He's seeing a tomb. He's seeing a funeral. And all he can see is funeral. All he can see is death. And he's thinking to himself, we're all headed that direction. We might as well just join him. We might as well just get in there. Uh, amen. He's got misplaced faith. Faith in the inevitable. Faith in what is going to happen. But what he missed uh, when he was observing, uh, he saw death, uh, but he missed resurrection. He saw disappointment, but he missed uh, resurrection. Uh, he saw a missed opportunity for Lazarus to be healed because Jesus stood around for a couple extra days. But what he missed uh, was the whole intent of what Jesus was doing. Uh, because instead of focusing his eyes uh, upon Jesus, uh, he focused his eyes uh, upon everything else uh, and everybody else. Uh, but can I preach to Thomas? Uh, lift up your eyes uh, to the hills. Uh, from whence cometh your help. Lift up your eyes and look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Oh, somebody ought to clap your hands and give God some praise. It is in this moment that as much, as much as Mary and Martha had lost their faith, we find that Thomas has lost his faith too. He throws himself in that same category. And he gets discouraged just like everybody else. And I've found that often when we misplace our faith, see, he, he believed God was a healer because he'd seen God heal just like Mary and Martha. He's going to heal Lazarus. But he'd never seen God resurrect, so he didn't know that God was going to do that. Amen. And I've found that one of the biggest issues when it comes to belief is when we have misplaced faith. Misplaced faith leads to more discouragement and more unbelief than anything else I can think of. 
Yeah, let me talk to somebody for a moment. James said we ask of God, but we ask amiss that we might consume it upon our own lusts. And then when God doesn't do it, we get discouraged. And when God doesn't do it the way we want it or in the time frame we want it or exactly to the specifications that we wanted, we start losing our faith. Amen. This is where we believe God for a Ferrari. I'm believing God for a Ferrari today. Brother Diaz, I'm believing God's going to give you a Ferrari for your birthday. Don't get disappointed on the second. Hallelujah. Let's take up an offering in Jesus' name. No, I'm kidding. See, we believe God. We believe God for something that God never promised us. God never promised you a Ferrari. And then we get discouraged and we throw out all faith. All belief goes out the window because the one thing didn't happen. We cannot allow misplaced faith to stop us from from placing our faith correctly. Let me say that again. We cannot allow misplaced faith to stop us from placing our faith correctly. Carl Sagan once said, faith is belief in the absence of evidence. Amen. If God said it, that settles it. Somebody once said it this way. If God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I just came to remind you, you can take yourself out of the equation because if God ever said it, whether you believe it or not, it's settled. Thy word is forever settled in heaven, which means God doesn't need your opinion and God doesn't need my opinion. If God said it, it shall be. Can I just remind somebody of the efficacy of God's word and God's word alone? God said, let there be light, and he didn't take a poll. He didn't find out if he had the things necessary. There was no sun. There was no moon. There were no stars. And yet when God said it, it happened. It happened. It happened. Can I preach to somebody? You need to let your belief come back into what God has said. Stop misplacing your faith in things God did not say and place your faith in the Word of God and believe what He did say. Oh, somebody ought to clap your hands and give God a shout of praise. Come on, let's give God some praise. I believe, I believe, I believe, I choose to believe. God said it, it's going to happen regardless of me. I believe, I believe. Amen. God does not take a poll to find out who believes. If God says it, it's going to happen. But this is where some people have gotten so far off. We're living in, I'm off on my notes, off my notes a little bit, but We're living in a biblically illiterate generation. They believe all sorts of things. But when it comes to the word of God, they're going, I don't know about that. I don't believe in a book that's been written by men, and yet they go to college. Wow. I don't believe in a God that I can't see, but I believe in a disease that took over 2020 that I can't see. I see you walking around the church with a microscope. Well, hallelujah. Or a PhD. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. They've got faith, but it's misplaced faith. 
In fact, Jesus said this, when I come back, will I find faith in the earth? I don't have any doubt God's going to find faith. Amen. My biggest challenge and my biggest fear is that God's going to find faith in all the wrong things. Yeah, that's right. I'll say that again. They're going to find faith in all the wrong things. Amen. People are going to be afraid of sickness. Amen. More than they had faith in God's ability to heal. Amen. I'm, I'm telling you. Amen. We're living in a generation that's got more faith in the economy than they do in God's ability to provide for them. They've got more faith in their vacation time than they do in God's ability amen, to expand their retirement years. They've got faith, all right, but what is their faith in? It's in everything but God's word. Now, that's not the way in the church. We believe God and we take him at his word. In fact, amen, we take God at his word so much that we, we follow his word. There's churches don't even follow God's word. Amen, I pay you 20 bucks to find one scripture in their theology. Praise God. One, one scripture on the Trinity. I, I dare you to go find one. You won't find one. It's not there. Find the word Trinity. I'll give you $1,000 if you find it in the Bible. Ain't in the Bible. They got faith, all right. Misplaced faith. Amen. We've got to make sure, amen, that we have faith in the right things. But faith is not a feeling. Hallelujah. Now, faith comes with feelings. Amen. And the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, and now abideth faith, hope, and charity or love. These three, but the greatest of these is charity or love. Amen. What are we seeing? That all three of those things, faith, hope, and love, are in the same category. Amen. Which means that they have similarities to them. Now, obviously, the greatest is love. Amen. We say it over and over again. Love is not a feeling. Love's not a feeling, but it comes with a lot of good feelings. And hope, let me preach to somebody a hope. Hope is not a feeling, but it sure feels good to hope. And faith is not a feeling. Faith comes with feelings, but faith is not a feeling. Faith is a choice. If you have faith today, it's because you got up this morning and said, I choose to believe. In spite of what modern people in this current society are saying about whatever, you choose to believe God and his word. If you have hope today, it's because you chose. I choose to have hope. If you have love working in your life, it's because you chose to have love working in your life. Hebrews 11 and 1, I'm almost done. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The ESV puts it this way. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the belief in the absence of evidence. Amen. But I want to tell somebody uh, that the evidence uh, of what is going to be uh, is my faith. The fact that I chose to believe is evidence enough that God's going to do it. I'm not talking about misplaced faith. I'm talking about properly placed faith. That 
that if I'm baptized in Jesus' name, he will wash away all my sins. That if I repent, he is faithful and just to forgive me of all my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I believe, according to his word, that when I receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, I will speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. I believe that in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall leave this place place. We shall be like him. We shall meet him in the clouds. I believe that one day we're going to walk on streets of gold by a crystal sea. I believe that one day every tear shall be wiped away from their eyes. I believe that everybody that has made their way to heaven will have no more sorrow, will have no more pain. I choose to believe. Let's stand across the building and lift up our hands. Come on, let's pray. Preacher, give me evidence. Give me evidence. Look around this room. There's people that believe. There's your evidence. There's your evidence that in every generation and every culture, there are people worshiping the one true living God. Amen. Baptizing in Jesus' name. Being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's your evidence. Faith, belief, faith and belief is the evidence of what I believe God for. Well, how do you believe God for X, Y, or Z? You don't see it happening. I don't need to see it happening in the physical because my faith said it will happen. You know what it's like? This is why I believe God allows us to dream. That's why I believe God allowed us to have an imagination. Do you know you can close your eyes and you can think about anything? What is that? That's creative process. Thinking of possibility. That's like God. When God created you and I, he thought of what would be the perfect man. And the Bible says that, of course, we know that man was Jesus Christ. He thought of what the perfect man would be like. The lamb slain before the foundation of the earth had not even been born yet. And he fashioned Adam after that. When you and I choose to believe, what are we doing? It's like you close your eyes and you imagine a better day. It's like you close your eyes and you imagine what it would be like and what it will be like when God, amen, finalizes what he promised to you. What is it? It's vision. It's envisioning what is possible from what God has told you. And every so often you got to open your eyes and look around, but don't let that discourage you. you got to close your eyes again in the spirit and say, it may not be that way today, but if I keep working towards it, praying towards it, uh, or, or just believing God for it, uh, one day you'll open up your eyes. And see, here's the beautiful thing about faith. You see it before they see it. You see it before everybody else sees it. You're going to be the first one to envision what God has promised. And one day... You got to share it to everybody else. One day, Abraham and Sarah, they got to hold that baby and they got to send it off into the arms of somebody else that probably didn't believe him in the first place. One day, I don't know if Noah's sons always believed him, 
But one day when that rain started falling, they're like, man, Dad, I'm so glad I obeyed you. Because that boat was there just in time. What is that like? In the best case scenario, after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, it's ten of the disciples in a room in a house. They've got faith that he said after three days he was going to rise again, so they figure we might as well hang out together until this happens or doesn't happen. But there's two guys missing. There's Judas, which hung himself, and there's Thomas. Thomas's doubt caused him to disconnect from the other disciples. Your doubt will disconnect you from other people of faith. His disappointment and his doubts caused him to miss out on a miraculous moment. And he finally decides after a few days to show up, see what's going on. And I can only imagine the stinging pain of feeling like he missed out or might have missed out. See, he didn't even know if he believed yet. He hadn't made the decision yet. And his disi- the disciples said, we saw him. He was here. He was among us. They weren't trying to make Thomas feel bad. They were trying to boost his faith. That's why you gotta get you gotta get around people of like-minded faith. I don't know what kind of people Thomas had been hanging out with for the last three days, last four days, last five days. I don't know how and what they said. Oh, man, yeah, he was crucified. They talked about all the gory details. And, yeah, and then they took him. And I saw this guy, Joseph, uh, who took him off the cross and put him in a tomb. And and they put a stone in front of it. I don't know what all he heard. When he finally showed up back to a people of faith, They were talking about what God does and what God did and what God can do. Poor Thomas, he's just been through too much. He said, I I don't don't know about that. Gentlemen, let me tell you about where I'm at. See, we talk about Thomas like this is a bad thing. We talk about Thomas like this is a shameful thing to admit. At least he has the guts to admit it. This is where I'm at. He's not Peter trying to say, I'll die with you, Lord, even when everybody else betrays you. Couldn't even, couldn't even live for, for him after a couple questions. No, Thomas is being honest. Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails. Put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. See, boys, I was there. I saw the spear. I saw the blood and water flow. I saw the, when, he, when he gave up the ghost. I saw when the earth went quiet and everything shook and the clouds went dark. I was there. And I don't believe anybody could get back up from that. What was Thomas really saying? I will not believe unless I have a personal encounter. Let me just, I'm going to take a moment, take my time for a moment. I'm done right here. There's people in this house that you are one encounter away from your life forever being changed. I'm not even talking about guests or visitors. You too 
Well, there's some saints. You've been living for God just like Thomas, where every time God does something, you look around at everything else. Uh, amen. But you are one encounter away uh, from your belief life being changed uh, forever. But let me help somebody who's in that position. The decision you make today will determine the encounter you have later. Not just in this moment. I'm talking about in this season of life, where it's not happening where you live. The decision you make in that moment makes a difference on the encounter you may or may not have. I want you to notice this. He hears all these stories. He even lets out and tells them where he's really at. We always call him Doubting Thomas, but I believe Thomas had about that much faith left. How do I believe that? Because he decided not to go back out and say, well, boys, mega church is closed up. It's all done. We've got no Messiah left. It's over and it's finished. I'm going to go back to my job, go back to my business. I'm going to go back to whatever I had before. No, the Bible says he stayed with the disciples in that house for eight more days. This shows, even if he didn't believe even if he had doubt. This shows how badly Thomas wanted to believe. There's people you want to believe. You want to believe. You want to believe. That's why you're in church today. You may not have felt like coming, but you didn't want to miss out. And in those eight days, he got connected again. In those eight days, they talked about all the things Jesus did. I don't want, I wish I was in that room. All the conversations, no, Thomas. The persuasion, the preaching, the talking, no, Thomas. We saw him. He was here. You may not believe it, but we saw him. And that little spark became a little flame, and his faith began to rise. He's hoping now for that personal encounter. What are we seeing in eight days? Thomas's faith is starting to grow back. I love the way the Bible puts it. Eight days of consistent faith-building moments. Then came Jesus. You know, just those few words can change your life forever. Lost and undone, then came Jesus. Sick and the doctors don't know what's going to happen, then came Jesus. Marriage on the brink of divorce, then came Jesus. Can't pay the bills and I'm broke, then came Jesus. I want to tell you how Jesus came. Thomas, remember what I told you? If you've seen me, you've seen the way. He walks right through the walls, right through the locked doors. I don't know who locked the doors, but Jesus wasn't going to let none of that stop him from getting to Thomas. I want you to notice that for a moment. Jesus came one more time so he could give Thomas the personal encounter that he was asking for. 
We think God's so hard and so difficult and God's so mean that he would just uh, say, you missed it, so you missed it. No, that's how we are as humans, but that's not how Jesus is. Jesus said you missed it, but you don't have to keep missing it. Oh, hallelujah. I came to preach to somebody. You missed out on this or that. There's people you might have missed out on years. You might have missed out on weeks. You might have missed out on decades of living for God. But when Jesus comes back, I've come to preach to somebody. If you'll tarry in the room, Jesus will show up, and everything you missed will be as if you never missed it. Not only did he get back what he missed, Every disciple said, we saw him. We saw him. But he got something they didn't get. He said, put your hands and fingers into the prints of my palms. Feel that? That's where they pierced me. Now, now thrust your hand into my side. You feel that? You saw it, Thomas. But now you got an encounter that you can never, ever forget. Thomas, let me tell you something, though. You got an encounter, and I will always give people an encounter. But I want to tell you, there's an extra special blessing upon people. See, Thomas, there's coming today, you're going to be dead and gone. But there's coming an extra special blessing uh, 2,000 plus years later uh, where there's going to be a church on Winnie Lane uh, and they won't be able to put hands into prints uh, and stab hands in the sides uh, and yet those people are going to shout uh, and those people are going to dance uh, and those people are going to pray and those people are going to fast uh, and those people are going to read my word and those people are going to believe uh, that I did die. Those people are going to believe uh, that I was buried. Uh, those people are going to believe that I rose again and those people are going to believe that one day I'm coming back. So here's the question. Will you be amongst that group that chooses to believe? Lift up your hands and let's pray all across this house. Come on, there's some people you've been struggling in your faith. Because of circumstances and situations, maybe it's the people you surrounded yourself by. But God sent me in this house to talk to you today. Amen. To tell you that you can make the decision today uh, to go back and say, I choose to believe. I choose to believe. You might have been Thomas in this building where you needed God and you need a little special attention from Jesus. He's come uh, to give you that special attention today. Uh, I want to open up this altar. Would you come? Uh, if you need an encounter from God, you can have it today. But God's going to give you that encounter, Thomas, uh, so that one day you never have to go back you don't need another encounter you got the one you need so you can believe him from this point forward come on in the name of Jesus, I choose to believe. I choose to believe what God has said over what man has said. Amen. Whose report will you believe? Amen. It might be in moments of darkness. It might be in moments of sickness. It might be in moments of frailty. But you make the decision in the midst of what you see to believe in that which you cannot see. If you need an encounter from 
so you can go be a missionary in another country and you never doubt again. I was there. I encountered him. I experienced him. I believe. I live stories that have proved your faithfulness. And I see miracles my mind can't comprehend. There is beauty.
the Holy Ghost is moving through this building. If it's appropriate, lay your hands over on the person next to you. They might need an encounter right now. Are they ready to make the decision to believe? Come on, it starts at belief. It starts at belief. Then it moves to obedience. It moves to other things, but we're just believing right now. We're just believing right now. All the miracles will see. Too good to not Don't you tell me 